You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by JT English. Hey, glad to be here. And Jen Wilkin. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Doing great. We're just jumping in today to the Apostles' Creed. The faith once delivered. Faith once delivered to it. the saints. Um, and we talk a little bit about our uh, uh, some bands, some maybe uh, <laughs> band mashups. Probably shouldn't have, but we did. We did. We went there. Mm-hmm. We went there. We went. We did. We hit Creed. We hit Nickelback. We hit ACDC. And eventually, we got around to the Apostles' Creed. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right. Well, uh, we just, uh, there are parts of Knowing Faith recording that you don't ever get to hear. And we just have, we just got some great for whatever our We've like. material for the staff dinner. No. Yeah. Or, our, so or like our best of episodes when we do outtakes. Jin went on singing uh, an ACDC song. I mean, yeah, like I we, mean and it wasn't almost like, a full verse. It, yeah, it wasn't like a word or two to, no. to show us that she knew the song. No. I mean, it was like yeah. she got into it. She's a, she, we, we found out she's a fan. Yeah, that's right. I was like, I've never heard the, I never understood the lyrics until Jen was singing them. I'm now not I'm, a fan. It's just, look, we all have parts of our past we're not proud of. Yeah. Like, I was a huge Creed fan. Big Creed fan. And now it's like super unpo- like po- unpopular to like Creed, right? Like yeah. they're a punchline, I think. They are, yeah. Uh-huh. But Sorry, I mean, Kyle. like, which I, one's worse, Creed or Nickelback? Oh, Creed probably. I wonder. Nickelback is just more poppy. I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm going to be on the record <laughs> oh right gosh, now. He just, I, he just nuanced the conversation. <laughs> no, I, I'm saying I've thought, I've thought a lot the about. The whole point is that there is no nuance to either band, and you just tried to make some really. I'm going to say loud and clearly for all the haters out there, Nickelback is a one-stop hit machine. Okay, those guys are pumping. Up. Go to their Spotify, see how many streams they got. Listen, Nickelback, if you listen Speaks to Knowing to Faith, soul. bring me out for a show. I mean, just that's all I'm saying. I want you to form a cover band and call it Crickleback, and you can do like <laughs> Creed and Nickelback songs. Oh my gosh, did you just come up with that? Crickleback. We need to brand that immediately. Mm-hmm. Immediately. And go for Check it. Check the URL. It's like Nickelback songs covered in a style reminiscent of Creed. <laughs> of Creed. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think this is really actually yeah. pretty smart. Well, today we're talking about Creed, but not the band. We're talking about the Apostles' Creed, uh, and uh, JT's on his phone. I am. Just looking up facts about the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, Wikipedia. Uh, I was going to start playing some Nickelback songs. Oh, you were? Us from well, Spotify. I'm glad you did it because we'd have to can the episode for licensing. <laughs> <laughs> or pay a very high premium for a song that nobody wants to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. And so maybe it would just be good to start with, oh, well, uh, let me just kind of pan up. One of the things we'll be doing over this season, uh, we kind of always hit kind of two beats, so to speak, when we're going through a Knowing Faith season. We're covering a book of the Bible, and we typically are covering some sort of like theological structure, scope and sequence, lattice. We've used the training program curriculum Mm -hmm. in the past, which is a program here at the Village Church. But what we're doing this season for that kind of component is going through the Apostles' Creed. Yep. So let's just start really broadly with what is the Apostles' Creed? What is the Apostles' Creed? I mean, it's a, it's a summary or a distillation of the Christian faith that has been true of what Christians have believed for the last 2,000 years. This, is, this spans literally every Christian denomination, every Christian tradition. Uh, th- this is orthodoxy. This mm-hmm. is the summary of the teaching of the apostles, yeah. the apostles of Christ. Yeah. Did, it, you, did you grow up saying the creed? Uh, we grew uh, No. 
No, we said it occasionally. You're, you're, you've been Southern Baptist all all your days. I, uh, yes, all my days, <clears throat> for as long as I have been. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there but, was a time when I was, <laughs> there was not a time when I was not a Southern Baptist. Uh, <laughs> careful, blessed. that sounds Presbyterian. It does. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but, but, you did, uh, but you didn't grow up Southern Baptist. Did you say the creed? I grew up many, many things. Okay. Yeah, um, I did. Okay. We, My dad and stepmom um, were in the Methodist church, and I attended church with them quite a bit. And okay. so we did say the creed in the Methodist church. Like weekly, occasionally? Yeah, weekly. Okay. Yeah, every week. Um, um, and had spent some time in the Presbyterian Church too, as when I was a younger child. So yeah, yeah I feel like it's sort of the the words are are in me, mm-hmm. um, and I love it. And then when I was in the Baptist Church as an adult, I remember I was like I didn't have my nerve up yet to teach yeah. a full blown Bible study because yeah. I didn't think anybody would come. And so I had the genius idea that at a Southern Baptist church that I would teach a Bible study on the Apostles' Creed. Oh my gosh! And so I build this whole Fire thing out. I'm like super nerded out over how fun it's yeah. going to be. And I think eight people showed up mm-hmm. because they were like, what is it? Why? Like they, no one had even heard of it. Yeah. And I just assumed that everybody knew what it was. Yeah. And with as it's interesting that Baptists don't have as much of a background with the Apostles Creed, or at least mm-hmm. contemporary Baptist churches have very little practice with the creed because the creed was actually probably used as a baptism formula. Right. It's, irony. Yeah. Hashtag irony. Baptism confession formula, at least as early as the third century is when we see it show up. You find it uh, in a third century document called the Apostolic Tradition, mm-hmm. and it's in reference to, or you find the basic formula of the creed. It's not word for word, beat for beat, but you find the basic chain and pattern in the Apostolic Tradition uh, as a baptism confession formula. So like a candidate would recite it or confess it before being baptized, or they would uh, assent to it before being baptized or concurrent with their baptism. Mm-hmm. Like there's writings of, uh, in the Apostolic Tradition, you get you get a picture of them reciting a portion, of, like somebody reciting a portion of the creed, them saying, I believe, and then them being dunked or immersed or baptized and then coming back up, another portion of the creed, I believe, boom, dunk, immersed or whatever. Uh, and so, and then it's, you see it also in Irenaeus, he's an early church father. Mm-hmm. You see it in uh, Against the Heresies. Yep. So that's kind of where it shows up historically, mm-hmm. early third century, right? Um, and uh, it, it shows up very much connected to the practice life of the church. Yep. It's a discipleship thing. It is. Mm-hmm. This is their... This was their tool yeah. to, to, to make sure that somebody was a believer, that they were uh, going to participate in the life of the church. Uh, it was, uh, this sounds weird to say it this way, but this was their, this was like their curriculum. If you were yes. looking for the, yeah. for the early church curriculum of how they were catechizing, teaching, discipling, keeping people in the faith, evangelizing people. Like yeah. this was a, a tool that was, I mean, it's what, 12 lines. Yeah. And so it, it's simple, it's short, it's memorable, it's easily repeatable. And so as, as early church uh, followers and Christians were learning the faith that had been handed down, this was something that they could just distill simply and share with their neighbors, share with uh, their family so that the Christian faith could be understood. Yeah. Uh, and I love it because it's one of the, uh, as far as creeds go, it actually has like a narrative component mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Like most creeds, and that's how most people understand creeds is to be just kind of almost list of propositions. Mm-hmm. And, and there, it, this doesn't feel like a story, but there is a story a- element to it. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of historicity in this creed, right? Right. So like, uh, uh, just to, I guess start would be good probably just to read the creed, right? Yeah, let's do it. Like, so, because you might be listening to this and be like, I don't know. I've never heard the creed. That's fine. Can I just read it? Yeah. Yeah. Great. 
Can anybody recite it? Can either of you recite it from memory? I don't know if I can anymore. I don't know that I, I know could. that I could get through the. F- yeah, let's not let's not test that theory okay, right cool. now. But by the end of the season, we'll probably. I believe all know. in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ's only Son, who was born of the Virgin Mary. You, Is that next? Uh, you 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 were like on track. I believe in Jesus Christ's only Son, our Lord, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Spirit born, born of the Virgin, Virgin Mary, Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Um, was, crucified, was crucified, died, died was buried. buried. I'm not, I just want to be clear, I'm rose. not reciting this from memory right now. On the third day he rose. He descended to hell. He descended to hell. Oh yeah, we'll get wow. to that. Oh, that's um, where JT and I are going to go head to head. That's fun. I'm the, ready. The third, third day, day he rose. Yep. Uh, from the dead. From the dead and ascended. To heaven. To heaven. He sits, yep. sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living from and the dead. From thence he will come to judge the quick and the dead. Nice, there you uh-huh. go. And then I believe in the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit, the Holy Catholic, Catholic Church, Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the life everlasting, the resurrection of the, the body. resurrection of the body. Oh shoot! And the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Hey, I've got a little of the Methodist still in me. That's oh good. my gosh, you got a little of the church. I mean, you got a lot of the church left. <laughs> yeah. In. I mean, yeah. like, that you got most of that. Wow. Yeah. Man. Maybe by the end of the podcast, it'll all come back. So how are we going to do this, Kyle? Are we going like line by line over the course of yeah. the season? Yeah, we're, we're really breaking it into pieces. Okay. And so for some of the episodes, like today, we're going to be talking about the nature of belief. Uh, and we'll get there in just a moment. But yeah, we're going to just be going kind of bit by bit through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and you might be, you kind of might be asking, okay, like I understand that the, the Apostles' Creed is significant for the life <clears throat> of the church, or the history of the church. But what actually is a creed? Right? So, like, what is a creed? It's a distillation. We've said that. It is, but we, we should, probably should distinguish because we've said distillations as creeds, councils, and confessions. Right. A creed and a council, most councils, not all of them, are considered ecumenical. In other words, believed everywhere by all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is something that is not, like, we've kind of said it, it's not unique to Baptists or Presbyterians or Anglicans or Catholics. This is something that everybody who, who claims to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ should have in their bloodstream. This mm-hmm. is a part of our DNA. Yeah. So a creed is not a confession. Like right. you think of like the London Confession yes. or the Westminster Confession. Those are things that are particular to a, a specific group of Christians. Yeah, they're usually more specific, more detailed, more, yeah. hit secondary and tertiary topics with greater clarity. That's right. They're, like they're, they're making very specific claims about baptism mm-hmm. or what mm-hmm. happens in salvation or what is the nature of the church. Yes. Or, like they're getting very, not very granular, it's still important, but it's more granular than a creed. Which is this, a broader base. This is something. So a creed is a landscape. That's right. And a uh, confession is shooting an arrow at a target. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. There you go. I think I ripped that off from Dr. Pennington, by the way, just in case we're needing to credit people with ideas. <laughs> Dr. Pennington, thank you for all of your good insight. That's well, right. he used it as an example of how to think about the Gospels mm. versus the epistles, mm-hmm. yeah. but I think it's useful in this I think context you're right. as well. It is. It's a broad, foundational kind of document. And a lot of the creeds emerge largely largely in response to disagreement. Mm-hmm. And that's where um, uh, I think a lot of times the creeds get displaced as being like, well, the creeds are these kind of really academic ivory tower exercises. Yeah, it's just wrong. But they're not. They're incredibly pastoral in nature. Uh, the Apostles' Creed serving an important discipleship function yep. in the life of the church. And then future creeds serving a, an apolog- a lot of times an apologetic yeah. in the life of the church to distinguish what true belief was as opposed to false contenders. Yeah, so like Nicaea and Chalcedon, they're developed because because of heresy that was being birthed inside the church. That's something that's really important to remember is that the heresies of the early church weren't just coming from the outside in terms of pagans or other kind of Roman or Greek ways of thinking. Heresy technically is born within the church. And so one of the responsibilities of local churches and pastors was to help guard the faith 
because it actually destroys people's lives when they believe heresy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul and Peter will talk continually in the New Testament about destructive heresies that are going to creep in. So when you think of, uh, of heresy, don't just think of an academic or an intellectual belief that is wrong. Think about something that's going to destroy my life. So the Apostles' Creed, Nicaea, Chalcedon, whatever, whichever creed you're talking about, this is a med- this is medicine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a tool for health. It's meant to nourish the Christian life so that we wouldn't live in a destructive path. Yeah. And, you know, there there is, especially within uh, Protestant denominations, there has been kind of a hesitancy around the creeds, and Baptists in particular, mm-hmm. and evangelicals as a whole, have been uh, resistant to the creeds because they go like, hey, we, we don't need a creed. We've got the Bible. Bible only. So how how do they help one another? How do they like? And actually, I think a good way to kind of even play this out is some of the tension that we, when we're doing theology together, mm-hmm. there's always a little bit of, I think, uh, I think healthy mm-hmm. tension between some of the things, Jen, that you are always kind of pressing and advocating right. for, and the areas where JT and I are kind of coming alongside. Like we've talked about rule of faith a lot, yeah, and like how the creed helps develop a rule of faith that helps us read the Bible rightly. Mm-hmm. And that's not something you don't want. But when we push on that, we'll say, well, you know, it's important to read with theological lenses. Right, right. So how do we... It's our fake argument. It is our fake <laughs> argument because we're actually, we actually want both things to happen yeah. all the time. Right. But there, there are two things that we kind of both advocate for yeah. that are complementary. But a lot of times people view them as opposites. As opposites, yeah. Because there's, a, there's a, mm-hmm. an approach that sometimes says, we well, got to read the Bible purely as if you have no theological mm-hmm. background mm-hmm. and just kind of... You read the Bible and you're going to get truth. And that's what a lot of uh, uh, believers or evangelicals and Protestants will kind of say is, I don't really need creeds. I just need to read the Bible. I just want what's biblical. Right. And they're assuming that they have good categories in place. Right. And I think also we have to bear in mind that at the time that the creeds are being assembled, everybody doesn't have a copy of the Bible. Right. And so think what a gift it is to give to a person who is only going to hear the Bible read perhaps only once a week. Um that they can have this recitation that reminds them of the really important categories that the Bible is speaking to. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, which I think kind of begs the question, have we outgrown the era of creeds? Yeah. Because what I have found is that people are not just uh, disinterested, they're suspicious of yeah. reciting a creed. Mm-hmm. They feel like it's like something you do when you're in a cult, mm-hmm. which is funny because we all recite the Pledge of Allegiance without a thought. Right? Right. There are things that we're willing or to ACDC recite. Lyrics. Or ACDC lyrics. Okay. Okay, then. Or Crickleback. Crickleback sure. yeah. lyrics. Um, <laughs> when you launch the website for that, uh, I'm going to yeah. want my cut. Yeah, um, I'll let you know. And so I think that's an interesting thing to think about is what is it that makes us wary of them uh, in this day and age and and the other and the other complicating factor is just because we enjoy such great access to the text we can forget why they were historically important in a way that perhaps has shifted over time but is that importance still relevant to us today is there still value in having a snapshot recitation uh I would argue yes. Yeah, I know I that's not a surprise to anybody um, because repetition is the mother of learning. And, you know, what's funny is the, the, the people who will say, oh, I, don't, I just need the Bible are the same people who will tell you, oh, you know what's a really good formula for how you should pray? If you use the acronym P-A-R-T, praise, admit, request, thank. And they're yeah. like, see how great that is? But no one says, uh, well, that's extra biblical. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, because mm-hmm. it's a memory tool. It's a way for you to remember how to be faithful in prayer. Or so the creeds sinner, are or, more or the than sinner's that. prayer. Yeah, I mean the creeds are more than that. Yes. but they are at least that. Sure. 
they are. And so they ha- they would have value if all they did was um, prick our memories about what's important. They do yeah. more than that. That's true. Yeah, so yeah. big impulse in evangelicalism is, is no creed but the Bible. Right. And we're trying to gently push back on that a little bit and say that's a creed itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To assume that you can know the Christian faith simply by having access to the text but not community and the right patterns of thought is to think too highly of yourself. And by community, you also mean the historic community. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus says that I'm going to spend my, send my spirit to guide you into truth. That includes parts of the church. I mean, yeah. we can learn and benefit from the men and women who've gone before us. And that includes the creeds, but as good kind of ref, in, in like a reformed tradition or Protestants, we're trying to say, yeah, but we have a different relationship to tradition than the Catholic church has. So I think we should maybe talk about that for a little bit because don't we believe in sola scriptura? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't we believe that the Bible alone is authoritative? Of course. Yeah. Yes, we are saying that. We're not trying to say that the creeds share in the same kind of authority that the Bible has. The Bible is a unique document that is inspired by God and is illumined by God. And it's, it's where we go to meet with him, to meditate upon him and truth and beauty and goodness and to understand the true story of the world. That's, yeah. that's what the Bible does. But creeds come alongside with kind of a secondary authority that help us become better readers of scripture. So yeah. Heiko Oberman, for, so, for those of you who may be interested in this kind of conversation. Say that, say that name oh again. my gosh, I love him. Heiko? Her. It's a him? I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> Well, he was he was the guitarist for ACDC. <laughs> uh, so Heiko Oberman is a Reformation scholar. He's a historian, mm-hmm. and he he gave three categories as it relates to how how the church has responded to tradition. Mm. He calls them tradition zero, tradition one, and tradition two. Tradition one is the one he's ultimately going to advocate for, and he says tradition zero is the radical Reformation that basically said no creed but the Bible. Mm-hmm. We want the Bible alone. He, another way to think of that is solo scriptura yep. or the Bible completely by itself. Mm-hmm. Then he says you have tradition one, which is sola scriptura, believing that the Bible alone is authoritative, but we need tradition one to come alongside to help us become better readers of scripture. Mm-hmm. And then there's tradition two, which is more of a, a Catholic way of conceiving of this, mm-hmm. that tradition is as authoritative or comes alongside scripture right. as another authority. And that's not what we're saying. And so when you look at the history of the church, the uh, tradition one is what the reformers were doing. You yep. see Calvin and Luther right. and Edwards and Moore uh, using Augustine or the Apostles' Creed. They're not trying to overthrow mm-hmm. the entirety of the church. They're yep. actually using tradition to help people reform. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so when you're, as you're thinking about going through the Apostles' Creed with us this summer, uh, you don't need to remember traditions zero, one, and two, but we are trying to say, uh, another way that the reformers talked about it was, is the Bible has magisterial or yep. kingly authority mm-hmm. and the creeds have ministerial or a stewardship authority mm-hmm. that comes alongside mm-hmm. scripture. Yes. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. No, I think it's really good. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, uh, some biblical scholars have uh, have made the, the point that there are creedal type formulas even in scripture. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, First yeah. Timothy 3.16 is doing something like that. Uh, some have suggested that the Christ hymn might have been connected as a creedal pronouncement, yep. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And so the Lord's it, Prayer, the, Lord's, yeah, the prayer. Lord's Prayer, these are these are formulas that the early church was using. That's not to say that they're not inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's just to say that they do give us a kind of Did you guide. just say the Lord's Prayer is not inspired by the Holy Spirit? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying, kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> they are. It's okay. not to say that they aren't inspired. <laughs> Um, don't try to don't try just to call me on your toes. What would Heiko say? Though? Yeah, what would Heiko say? Yeah. We should we should listen to ACDC and see, <laughs> yeah, and see what he <laughs> says. You know, you asked the question a minute ago, or you made the observation a minute ago, and uh, it reminded me. I, I had put this quote in my notes, but um, about 
the creeds kind of feel maybe a little bit like have we outgrown our time for the creeds and they certainly feel like just in the broader culture the very notion of a creed is very counterintuitive it Mm -hmm. feels very dusty Mm -hmm. very um controlling maybe uh and uh i don't know have you ever guys have you guys ever listened to the podcast on being Yes. Krista Tippett. Yes. Mm-mm. Okay, so there's a great podcast. Uh, it's a very, she's an incredible interviewer. Um, she did one with Martin Sheen. It's fascinating. It's one of my favorite like, podcasts. You, you of know all Kyle time. Worley, but. Oh, oh, you, you know, man. you're too kind. Yeah. Thank you. I think, she, I think she has won a Peabody Award, so she, she's got okay. me beat. Um, Same for thing. now. But, thank you. Um, but Krista, uh, Krista Tippett, she asked Yaroslav Pelikan. Okay, that is a real person. <laughs> he is the drummer. Uh, of Crickleback. <laughs> Man, we are getting our mileage out of these jokes. Uh, Yaroslav Pelikan is a very foremost uh, history of doctrine guy. Like, that's what he does, is history of Christian belief, how doctrine Pel- came I mean, Pelican is... is- He's an, he is gold a standard. pillar. Yes. So she asked him, what is it about Christianity that has needed creeds? He's 80 years old, okay, when he answers this question. And he says that, like, he answers this. So she asks, what is it about Christianity that's needed creeds? And she's playing up the idea of, like, haven't we kind of outgrown mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. these kind of pronouncements? And he says, well, he, this is his response. Well, what is it about religious faith that needs creed? Is that religious faith in general or prayer addressed to a kind of to whom it may concern, the sentiment about some sort of transcendent dimension or unknown God, it does not have any staying power. He said, it's okay to maybe have that at 10 on a Sunday morning when you're out with friends somewhere, but in the darkest hours of Mm -hmm. life, you've got to believe something specific. Wow. And that specification is the task of the creed because as much as some people may not like it, to believe one thing is also to disbelieve another. Mm -hmm. To say yes is also to say no. Wow. Wow. That is an incredible, I mean, that, that idea of this idea of a transcendent to whom it may concern, undefined other, doesn't have any staying power. It's okay to have that at 10 on a Sunday morning, but in the darkest hours of your life, you've got to believe something specific. And that specification is the task of the creed. That's Man. a really incredible, this is a guy who gave He's his, smarter than we are. Yes. <laughs> Why is he not on the podcast? Uh, well, uh, I think he's going to be with the Lord. Has he? I think he has. Okay. I, I'm not sure. I actually need to check that. I don't want to pronounce him dead and start like a Twitter <laughs> trend. Um, he's going to write in. Uh, but he's going to be like, actually, big fan, a longtime listener. Reports uh, of my death are no, he did. He, he passed away in May 2006. Um, okay. But he uh, he has an incredible series of books called The Development of Doctrine. This is a man who gave his life to studying the creeds. And in this pressing cultural moment where it can feel a little bit like, man, the creeds are antiquated. They're a little bit dusty. They're a little bit controlling. We've lost our need for them. He, he's saying clearly, like, no, I, I know that it's to say the creed is a very radical thing. It's to say, I believe. Yeah. This is what I believe. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. 
As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World as Seminary President Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. I've been spending a lot of time in Hebrews for a project I was working on, and it and Hebrews is very concerned with the question of unbelief, mm. you know, and, and belief versus unbelief, and that's why you have the chapter eleven, the Hebrews Hall of Faith, and so it sets in opposition the idea of unbelief to faith, and, and how do those two lives look different? And um, that is the record of Israel: is is faith for a moment, and then lapsing back into unbelief, and 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 we need these repetitions. We need remembrances that help us not lapse back into unbelief. And not only that, uh, I was asked um, actually by the interns the other day, they said, what passages of scripture do you go to when you're in a crisis or when Mm. you're in a really stressful time? And I thought for a second, I panicked because I thought I'm a Bible teacher. I should have a really good answer to this. And I wanted to blurt out Psalm 23 or something like that. But um, truthfully, when you're in a crisis, that can be the worst time mm-hmm. for you to try to go and, and find a comforting passage because um, the potential that you're going to read it in a way that's, you know, unbalanced, that's just so shaped by what you're going, your feelings is, is really high. And uh, I, I think it's in those times where what we most need is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, mm-hmm. maker of heaven and yeah. earth. That's so good. You know, yes. it's significant to me too. Um when when Rahab, you know the story of Rahab is mm-hmm. one of my favorites, and when she is in her big moment of crisis, and she um, stands before the the men and and is is laying everything on the line, um, she basically states the first line of the Apostles' Creed in her mm-hmm. in her long message to them. She says um, that God is God of heaven and earth. Like yeah. that is her statement of belief that mm-hmm. it identifies her as a child of God, not a child of Jericho. Wow. Yeah. And so it's significant that we look at this and go, well, that's not the Bible. And it's like, no, this is the Bible. It's yes. the Bible from so Genesis good. to Revelation, yes. boiled down into some simple statements. That, you know, is it the Bible? Bible. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. but although parts of it are verbatim right. from the Bible. Absolutely. Uh, and I have this memory too of my, my brother who I love very much. And this was actually instructive for me standing next to me in church when the creed was being recited and he wouldn't say it. He wouldn't say the creed because mm. he wasn't sure where it had come from. Mm. That's actually a really good impulse. Yeah. 
he was willing to stand out in a room full of people who were all saying the same thing because mm. he wasn't yet ready to assent that this was something that was drawn mm. directly from the scriptures. Yeah. So I think it's worth us saying, uh, should we say it? Yeah. But also, no, you should say it because you believe it is saying what the Bible says. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and its beginning um, is with belief. Yeah. Like what belief? I believe. That's, yeah. I mean, like creed and credo, I, I believe. That's yeah. what the word, that's the origin of the word, right? Like this is what I believe. And so I think it would be important. I think a lot of times when we talk about belief and believing, particularly in environments, I think particularly like the South, it's very comfortable to talk about belief and believing and have no idea of what we really mean mm-hmm. by what it means to believe. Right. Like what is the nature of belief? And so I want us to begin there. I know it's just Good. the first two words, but... I believe. What does it mean to believe in something? What is belief? What is the Bible talking about when it's talking about belief? What do, first of all, though, what do Christians, some Christians, or does Christian subculture tend to wander toward equating belief with? Uh, and at least the, in my little space, I think it's assent to a set of propositions or feel goodism. That's. I think it, we identify it with an emotion mm-hmm. instead of with an action. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's almost like the creed is I feel. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or I or, feel or that God is the Father yeah. Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. Yeah. <clears throat> or yeah. I've been told. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it might be true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so the the word creed or uh, it, it, creed is comes from the Latin word credo, which yeah. is to mean I believe. Yeah. So this is uh, where we call them creeds because it is a statement of belief. Right. And for the early church, this was a do or die statement. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was to, to as closely as possible associate oneself with the content of the creed, not just with intellectual assent or feeling, but an entire way of viewing the world. I mean, they were they were giving their lives over to this statement in baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard a preacher give, an, give kind of an example once. It helped me so much think about this concept of belief, which I, I know we've got some more to talk about later. Uh he, he, he gave this example of, I forget the guy's name, but it was like a, uh, a, a daredevil. And he used to go to Niagara Falls and there was a, a rope that would span across Niagara Falls. Like it was a tight rope. Mm-hmm. And he would, on, on top of a wheelbarrow, walk across this rope. So he would stand on top of nope. it. Right, <laughs> nope. No, I'm not doing that. And he, come, he, he, he walks it uh, successfully and he gets to the side where the crowd is just cheering him on. And he, and he says, who, who thinks I can do this again? And the whole crowd responds, I believe, I be- we believe, mm-hmm. we believe. And he says, who thinks I can do it with a person in, in the uh, wheelbarrow? Wheel, not, I guess not a wheelbarrow. <laughs> it's a, a, like a, a barrel. A yeah, barrel. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, a barrel. And uh, they say, we believe, we believe. And he says, who's getting in? Mm-hmm. And of course, nobody says, mm-hmm. I'm getting in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because kind of the, the mob mentality of belief mm-hmm. Is really associate is easy to associate with, mm-hmm. but to say I actually believe this to the point of life and death—that's mm-hmm. an entire different thing altogether. That's yeah. And that's what the early church is saying here. Yeah. They're saying we are forsaking our previous ways of viewing the world, the false stories, the things that we used to believe were true. Uh, we have been born again into this new way of thinking about God, ourselves, and the world. Yeah. When we say. I believe. Yeah. Well, and isn't that exactly what's preceding the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11? Mm-hmm. Faith is, we, we love going, faith is the assurance of th- uh, things so forth, the conviction of unseen things. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a great verse talking about the nature of belief and mm-hmm. faith and trust. Mm-hmm. But the rest of Hebrews 11 is detailing the pathway of that kind of belief and faith 
is marked by life and death kind of situations. Well, it's that whole. It, it, it's the substance of things un, uh, the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things unseen, mm-hmm. and then it builds that out. It basically says, uh, "Do you remember Abel? He placed his faith in something he couldn't mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? And it walks you through the entire. You, know, you remember Moses? He right. placed his faith in things. You know what he did? He built a boat in the desert when he'd never seen the ocean. Mm-hmm. That's faith. Right. And so uh, what we want is faith is placed in something seen. Yep. And, um, or at least that we've seen some sense that it's yeah. out there. And, and, and the yeah. other thing that Hebrews or 11. Work, or it works for us. Well, the other thing that Hebrews 11 is saying is you have a record that faith is something that is that God is worth. Yep. Uh, and, but that the people who, who built that record for you to look back on and draw assurance from did so by, by trusting in an unseen God. Yeah. So if, if belief isn't just mental assent to like this 10 set of propositional truths and it's not just feel-goodism, it, 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 it compels commitment. Mm-hmm. It compels like allegiance. Mm-hmm. It pulls you into something. It's yep. not just like, yes, it's like, yes, with your life, yep. right? And so we think about um, even Romans 10, you know, you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. A lot of times that'll mm-hmm. kind of come up in these conversations. You know, it's about believing in your heart. And um, Michael Bird, he has a he has a book on the Apostles' Creed. What mm-hmm. Christians ought to know. It's a really good book. Very great introduction to the Apostles' Creed. And he talks about belief in three ways. And I thought these were really helpful categories. He talked about faith as fact, and mm-hmm. that's where he talks about the apostolic testimony, mm-hmm. meaning like these things actually happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. look what, back. Right, look back. Mm-hmm. Faith as trust. This is believing what you heard. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is that sense of going. Okay, I'm going to trust this with my life. It's not just saying I agree to these mm-hmm. things that they are factual in nature or historical in nature that they really happened but i'm saying now that they have happened and that they impact me like that this mm-hmm. is the life i'm in the story i'm in and being pulled into the story so to speak mm-hmm. that's faith as trust believing what you heard and then faith is obedience yeah staying faithful that means being pulled in that being compelled to action and i know that both of us have read um maybe jen you've read this as well salvation by allegiance alone yep Matthew um, Bates by Matthew Bates, which is another great. It, it, the book is uh, can be a little bit dense, a little bit challenging if you're not kind of in that space. But the book is really good at kind of t- teasing out that in the early church, especially in the New Testament, that the notion of faith would have carried with it the, the Greek word pistis would have carried with it allegiance, loyalty, fidelity. Yes, this but, was this was uh, not just a commitment to a doctrinal statement, but belief in a king in his kingdom and saying, I'm, I'm transferring my allegiances from this kingdom yes. to another kingdom, mm-hmm. which means I have a new citizenship, yep. which means I've got new commitments and yes. a new, a new uh, disposition towards the whole world. Yeah, a new way of being in the world yep. entirely. Mm-hmm. And so, so belief is not just, I agree, um, and it, uh, but it is that. Mm-hmm. I agree with these true things. It's not just I trust in the this God or trust in these things or uh, my life is being pulled into the story. And it's not just I'm, I've got new commitments and new things to, to do. It's kind of all of those things. That's right. And we believe not because we understand, but so that we can understand. This was a huge point for the early church. Augustine and Selm make similar points where they're saying the, the wrong way to, to the wrong movement of the Christian life is to move from understanding to faith. Yeah, It's the opposite. We move from faith to understanding. So Augustine will say it that way. The Christian life is one of faith-seeking understanding. Mm-hmm. So what we're not saying in this podcast, and certainly what the Apostles' Creed isn't trying to say, is that until you understand these things, then you can believe. Right. Yeah. They're saying you start saying, I believe these things. I'm going to put on these spectacles, these mm-hmm. RX lenses, prescription mm-hmm. yes. lenses, 
so that I can begin to see the world through a new set of lenses mm-hmm. so that I can eventually move towards understanding. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and not just toward understanding. I, as we were sitting here, I kept thinking of, I had to memorize things in the King James as a kid, so bear mm-hmm. with me. But Second um, Timothy one twelve, when Paul talks to Timothy and he says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that, yes. that I've committed unto him against the day. Like it's about, it's not just that I have believed, it's that I know the one who I believe about. Mm-hmm. And that's something that at the beginning of your um, faith, yes, you know some things, but you don't know a lot of things. But And it's not, they're not things, they're a person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's kind so of good. the, like what the creeds are doing they don't say, I believe in salvation. They say, I believe in the Trinity, in, in the right. personhood of God. Yes. And that's significant. And and so you repeat it one way as a new believer and you repeat it another way as a believer of yeah. many years. Yeah. Uh, like Yaroslav Pelican. Yeah, like good old Yaroslav. <laughs> I'm using that in my sermon. You should. Week. It's a great it's a great quote. Um so when we think about the Apostles' Creed emerging, it emerges within kind of a uh, what we might call a network or there was there were widespread divergent beliefs okay that were out there so the church is distinguishing itself by saying these are the things that we believe and for the apostles creed it's immediately establishing its belief in contrast with probably two chief um, contemporary peers in the religious landscape one of those is gnosticism which many scholars say is the chief opponent of the Apostles' Creed. And the other one is Greco-Roman, like, syncretism Mm -hmm. and paganism, which was actually feels like kind of a contemporary analog in many ways, that it was syncretism and Greco-Roman paganism was a blending of many kinds of religious Mm -hmm. belief. As the empire spread, they kind of absorbed religious practices, and those religious practices got recycled. And as they got recycled, they got diluted. Mm -hmm. As they got diluted, they kind of became mixed and mingled together. So give a, just give an example of what syncretism looks like at the ground level. Syncretism would look like something like, um, let's imagine that, um, can I give a contemporary example? Yeah, for sure. So like, let's imagine that you brought, um, uh, you brought, uh, well, I don't want to do one from here to a different country because that seems a little imperialistic, but let's go with something <laughs> like, uh, syncretism would be something like, man, it's but cre- you thought it. well, you know, what? a great example, Christianity <laughs> spreads to the global West, yeah. right? It didn't start here. Yeah. So Christian witness spreads to the global West. And as the global West expands its economic base and its political enterprises, eventually, um, there, there seems to become, a, there's a political expediency. There's a mm-hmm. power component to Christian faith. You realize, oh my goodness, I can get social capital for uh, being a Christian and professing vaguely Christian beliefs. And in the 20th and 21st century, uh, you get kind of this full blossoming of American civil religion, which is maybe our, at least in America, our greatest example of what syncretism could look like, where you have this kind of vague Christian notion, some moral ideas that got blended together Mm -hmm. with a nationalist impulse, Mm -hmm. and that then was tied to America as the people of God, and as a country, okay, if we, you know know what a great example of syncretism is, 2 Chronicles 7.14 being applied to America as a nation. Right, if my people who are called by name will humble themselves, right, I will heal their lands. Okay, Kyle, you took this way spicier than I thought. I I was looking for a Hindu combines Hindu belief with Christian belief because I'm not going to blast the Hindu. I'm not. I don't think that's (laughs) blasting. I mean, I think that you see, you see, it it works both ways. It it happens all the time. That is true, but I think I think what I appreciate about Kyle's 
Uh, you're right too, Jen. Well, no, he's it's a it's a decent illustration. But syncretism, the reason I think that one's actually more helpful is it's often unnoticed. It's so subscript. Sure, yeah. it's yeah. subtle. Like yeah. to, to begin blending Hinduism and Christianity feels like, whoa, how would you do that? But to blend it with already kind of culturally assumed truths and norms, well, that's just a given. Yeah. 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 Maybe a better example would have been like when missionaries come to uh, South and Central America, you know, at the time yeah. of yeah, how, how the, the natives would combine Christian practice with their, it, it is, all I'm pointing out is that it is a common human impulse to say, how can I make these two things work together? Yes. Adapt and exactly. blend. Yeah. Adapt and blend. Yeah. For, and a lot of times for the- So I didn't, I actually wasn't trying to be pejorative of Hindus at oh, all. I was no, just saying, no, no, no. This I don't hear that what way. we do when we feel dissonance between two belief systems, we try to find a way to yeah. smush them I think together. your example is actually probably clearer yeah. in terms of like blending two systems. Right. Yeah. But often, but that also feels more, uh, uh, that doesn't happen as often because they are so distinct. Mm-hmm. Syncretism really is- a blending of two things that are already assumed that creates a third thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, like, Paul, I think Paul is probably uh, addressing Corinthian worry around syncretism, around the whole meat and idol situation. Yeah. Right? right? So he's going like, he, there's a whole group of people who are like, we can't eat those meat, the, the meat that was sacrificed to false gods, mm-hmm. and a whole group that's like, it's not a big deal. So mm-hmm. like, even there is, there's a kind of syncretistic concern. Well, syncretism is the impulse behind the whole discussion in Hebrews about belief and unbelief too. It, yes, absolutely. Yes. So when we think about kind of widespread misunderstanding, of, there was also at the time widespread misunderstanding of Christian faith and practice. Mm-hmm. So many of the like uh, of the the creeds emerge as this kind of apologetic thing and saying, "Hey, you're saying we believe this. This is Irenaeus and against the heresy." That's right. He's saying, "Hey, you guys out there are saying we believe this, this, and this, um, but we don't actually believe those things. This is what we believe." That's right. And often when heresy uh, is birthing itself out of the church, it's using the same language that or. Orthodox is using mm-hmm. with different definitions. Yeah. So one of the things you've got to be aware of, especially in evangelicalism, is using code words to see who's in and who's out. Uh, because are you defining the term God the same way I am yeah. or grace? Uh, grace. grace. Yeah. Yes, that's or, a big or one. Bible. I mean, there's you can really do any of the. Uh, well, really, salvation is yes. a word that gets used a lot of yeah, ways. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so the creeds for the early church were helping them give definitions to what they were saying that they, they believed. Mm-hmm. So that a Gnostic, if you went and heard a Gnostic preach, you would hear 98% of the same thing, yeah. but they meant something diametrically opposed to the actual Christian gospel. Right. And so they're using this creed as a tool to divide and unite. Yes. They're trying to unite the one church, but also show if you're outside, if you don't believe this, you're outside. Yep. Someone should give us a quick definition of Gnosticism. We talked about syncretism, but we didn't. Yeah, so Gnosticism in a kind of a quick boil down, is it, it's a, it's a early uh, non-Christian heresy that was masquerading as Christianity that uh, denied the goodness of creation and elevated the goodness of the immaterial world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you see kind of a proto-Gnosticism in First John mm-hmm. where, where uh, John is arguing against those and saying that they come from the Antichrist, those who deny mm-hmm. the actual mm-hmm. incarnation yes. because Jesus didn't actually take on a human body. Because just, it would have been evil. He would have been, it been evil. He would have right. been compromised because of his physicality. And to clarify, you're saying that's what John is speaking against. against. In first he says, yeah, John, if yeah. you deny the goodness of creation and the reality of the incarnation is something that only supposedly happened, you're outside the Christian faith. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and what's interesting is we deal with kind of incipient Gnosticism all the time. The idea that, uh, so here would be a modern day example. Uh, when you think about the afterlife, for example, uh, if a Christian dies and we celebrate that 
our sister Mary, who just passed away, uh, is now in heaven denying the reality of her physical body being in the ground Mm -hmm. because she is both in the ground because she is her Mm -hmm. body and she is also in heaven experiencing goodness and pleasure at the right hand of the Father. But the hope isn't that we would die and have a spiritual expression or spiritual experience with God. Our hope is is that the body that is now being corrupted in the ground Mm -hmm. will one day rise from the ashes and be united with her spirit and that's glory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And re- and like in the creed, we're getting to it. By the end of the creed, what do you get to? I believe in the resurrection mm-hmm. of the body. Mm-hmm. That is shots fired at yeah. Gnosticism. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, as is con- uh, born of the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. like this creed is putting in there like this wasn't just conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. His suffering, crucifixion, death, burial, descent, that he rose again. These are all very like embodied material. It's playing up the reality uh, against Gnosticism that Jesus Christ was embodied and one day we will be with Jesus mm-hmm. embodied. That's right. Um, so just to kind of land the plane, oftentimes um, we, we use language here about false stories. Mm-hmm. So if Christian belief is this kind of mingling of, um, uh, of assent, of trust, and of action, what are kind of the one-dimensional views of false stories and belief? So like, let me give you an example. Empiricism. What would be the kind of empiricist approach to belief? Like... I, the only way that I can know is through a lived experience yeah. and, and uh, like feeling, touching, seeing, knowing, smelling. Exactly. So I'm not going to believe unless I see Jesus. Okay, so like see it to believe it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Empiricism is see it to believe it. Mm-hmm. What about romanticism? That would be like what? I'm not going to believe it unless I feel it. Right. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't feel true, it's not true. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then maybe. And pro- if it does feel true, it is true. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, you're right. That's probably. <laughs> and then maybe well, maybe pragmatism, because I think these are the big three contenders outside of cr- Christian belief. What pragmatism? If it works, it's true. Yeah. If it works, it's true. Yeah. Or if it doesn't work, it's not true. Yeah. And Christianity has a very distinct approach to believing, mm-hmm. which is that, no, 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 no. There are things that are true, absolutely, categorically true. And that to believe those things means that I assent to them, I trust them with my whole mm-hmm. self and my life, I'm pulled into their claims and what they mean for me in the world, mm-hmm. and it compels action. Yeah, so we believe these things are true, not because we feel them, not because we've seen them, not because we've experienced them, and not because... Uh, they worked. Mm-hmm. I do think those things are true. Yep. But we believe them because God said. Mm-hmm. Yep. Period. You know, um, I think that the the creed of our current culture is live your truth. Yeah. And the Apostles' Creed is worth repeating because it stands in direct opposition to that. Yeah. That's right. You're absolutely right. <sighs> well, we are off to the races with the Apostles' Creed. I'm so pumped. Me too. This is going to be a fun season. It really is. Hang in there with us. For more information, you can look into the show notes in the podcast description. We'd be honored for you to leave us a podcast review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. You can find us online at trainingthechurch.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Knowing Faith. On our next episode, we're going to the book of Acts. There we go. I love it. And we're going to go with Jesus flying up, up, and away. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I had to do it. Come on. See you next time. Grace and peace.